Let's pray together. Oh God, you are everlasting God. And we come to you continuing in an attitude of worship as we come to study your word together. God, we know this is futile unless your Holy Spirit teaches us. So God, we pray that you would bring understanding to our minds, that you would empower our hearts, conform our wills to the truth of your word. Others, we have already heard this morning of your power, your great might. Father, help us to be encouraged in that this morning, that we would be people who would run to you quickly. It would be people that know that we are completely dependent upon our great God. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for life and newness in Christ. We pray now that you would apply your word to our life that would empower us to live a life pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by our time of worship together and being able to hear little young voices, even a little bit of cooing and a little bit of crying, we know that many of you have had the opportunity of at least being part of a family that has raised a young child. Uh, some of you have had the opportunity to, to carry a child in your womb and to feel the kick and the pain and uncomfort at times of that child, and then to put in the time and effort to raise that child. Many parents will spend the young days of that baby's life trying to get that baby to talk, and then you spend the rest of the time after they start talking trying to get them to stop talking. <laughs> but I want you to imagine this this morning as we get prepared to open up God's Word together. I want you to imagine that little baby who is cooing and blowing out spit bubbles as that child starts trying to learn how to talk. Then imagine the first few words come out, which always mom wants it to be mom, dad wants it to be dad, and somehow it comes out and it's mine. And we see the true heart of that child. And yet I want to imagine that same child, when able to express a full thought, the first expression to mom, imagine that child saying something like this, Mom, you should be so proud of me. I waited patiently for nine months inside your womb. I worked hard every day at getting bigger and stronger. And I muscled my way out on that day of delivery. I fed myself from your storage of milk. I allowed you to burp me, to change me, and to bathe me. I even gave you the opportunity, Mom, to stay up late at night and to rock me and hold me throughout the night. I'm so thankful, Mom, that I have had the strength and the wisdom to get through those early years of my life. Now, could you imagine a child actually saying that as the first clear thought? You would be absolutely flabbergasted by what would come out of this child of that statement. That is all about them. That sweet child obviously has a warped reality. Their view of what is correct and right is obviously off kilter. Well, it's fun to talk about little babies. It's a little bit harder to talk about us. But as Christians, as children of God, we sometimes act like that baby. And we have a skewed reality of our faith. We can at times put ourselves as the object of our faith. We can think that everything is about us, when in reality, it is all about God. The Lord is the object 
of our faith. He alone is the author and the finisher. He is the initiator and the sustainer. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you're a note taker this morning, the title of this sermon is The God of the Armor. And many of you, as we turn back to Ephesians 6, excited to go into the various pieces of the armor. The danger here is to get the object of armor in sight and think that's what this is about when it is about the Lord. He is the object of our faith. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And if you are able this morning, if you could stand, honor the public reading of God's word. This morning we are studying verses 14 through 17. However, I will read it from uh, verse 10 all the way to verse 20. Reading from the ESV this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So reads God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Please be seated. As we come again to this passage this week that we visited and started last week diving into, we're back to this idea of spiritual warfare. I want to encourage you that this area of spiritual warfare was mined deeply by several Puritans in the 17th century. In 1652, Thomas Brooks wrote over 200 pages on the topic in his book titled Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. By the way, I'm going to give you a few titles. They might be ones that you might want to jot down if you want to avail yourself of the reading later. That was in 1652, just a few years later in 1655, William Gurnall published over 1,700 pages on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. His work was called The Christian in Complete Armor. You can imagine there's a lot to be said about what is happening here and what we just read together. This morning, we don't have the time to go through 1,700 pages of his findings. So we're going to pack a lot of that together in what we see this morning. John Bunyan also during that same time in 1682 published The Holy War, which also focused on spiritual warfare. Now, if you're anything like me, I appreciate the modernized versions of these and the abridged versions. And those are available if you want to look for those. It makes the reading a little bit more accessible, but I would encourage you to spend some time in those. This morning, as we look to this spiritual warfare, and specifically verses 14 through 17, looking at the armor, there are times in our lives where we can get caught up with our attention specifically on the armor instead of the God of the armor. The whole point of this passage and unpacking it is that our attention and our focus should be on the God of 
the armor. And so this morning, as we go through our text, I'm going to break it down into three different areas. The first one we're going to look at is the power of God. And we heard Rob lead us this morning in some public readings in which he explained the power of God. The second thing we'll look at this morning is the perfection of God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the protection of God, the power of God, the perfection of God, and the protection of God. We'll try not to trip over alliterating those three Ps. Power, perfection, protection. So let's start with the first one, the power of God. Let's read our text specifically for us this morning, Ephesians 6, 4 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember, every time we study scripture, we have to put it into context. It is a danger to take scripture out of context because instead of exegesis, which means letting the text speak for itself, the message comes out of it, we can do what's called eisegesis and put the message into the text, which is error. So we must be very careful to always study within context. Just prior to what we read, Paul has commanded believers, if you go back up to verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He makes it very clear that the believer cannot stand in his own strength. He must be in the strength of the Lord. He must continually be in full dependence upon the Lord. This strength, as we will continue to unpack this morning, is freely given to the believer in Christ Jesus. He starts with, be strong, continually find your strength in the Lord. And then he goes and commands believers to put on the whole armor of God. And he explains why. He says, you're engaged in a, a cosmic war where Satan and his demons are opposing God and his people. And though we know from the rest of Scripture that Satan is already defeated. He was defeated at the cross. Done. Christ triumphed over him. But Scripture still paints him as a powerful enemy. It, it, it paints him as a supremely crafty enemy. He is a deceiver and he is an accuser. I mentioned Grinnell's work of 1,700 pages. Grinnell said this, I won't read all 1,700 pages, a quick quote. He said, quote, if Satan was too crafty for man in his perfection, speaking of Adam and Eve, how much more dangerous to us now in our fallen condition, end quote. Why don't you sit and think about that for a second? Pretty good statement. Causes us to stop and to think. If in their perfection he was crafty enough, how about in our fallen nature? Thus Paul tells us here, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's really important for us to do a little bit of homework, a little background here of, of how this came about, like the context of Paul writing this letter. We read in Acts chapter 28. In Acts 28, we read that Paul is in prison. Acts 28, verse 16 specifically, we read, when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so many of you probably heard and taught and even spoke to others about this passage here, that most likely you would tell them and you've heard that Paul was looking at this soldier and his uniform as he penned this part of this letter. Now, it is possible that that occurred. We, we don't know that for certain, 
But there are some scholars that said the soldier who would have been guarding Paul would not have been in this type of battle gear. He would not have had a big shield with him as he was guarding one prisoner. And so it makes us think, is that really the background of what Paul is writing here? Is he just describing what he sees on this Roman guard? Now, Paul knew the scriptures. Paul, we could say, knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. And he knew that God was a divine warrior. Let's spend some time unpacking that concept of a divine warrior. Rob led us this morning through Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, we read this morning, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Moses and the people of Israel rejoiced in singing how God triumphed over Pharaoh and his army. But if you know the whole story, just prior to that, they were not rejoicing. They were actually freaking out. Because as they look back, Pharaoh and his army is coming after them. They weren't singing songs of, of triumph and of victory. They were complaining. And so a chapter earlier in chapter 14 of Exodus, we read in verses 13 and 14, that Moses said to the people, as they're freaking out and complaining, he says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Sit and watch our mighty God is what the point was, that God would deliver them. The Old Testament is full of examples of God being this divine warrior who goes to battle on behalf of his people. For simplicity this morning, because there are no verses on the screen that was intentional this morning because you have Bibles. So I want you to use them. So in your Bible, if you would find the prophet Isaiah, find the book of Isaiah. If you're not familiar, flip through the Old Testament, you'll find a big chunk of Psalms and Proverbs. Go to the right a little bit from there, you'll find Isaiah. We'll start this morning as we look at God being a divine warrior. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, if you'd go down to verse 13 with me. We read there, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. This is the description of the Lord. He's a mighty warrior. Flip over to chapter 45. Isaiah 45, look at verse 2 with me. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. This is God. Isaiah 52, keep looking at the descriptions here. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, go down to verse 12 with me. We read, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. And we see the reason here in verse 12. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Meaning, he's going to defend you from every side. He is going to fight the battle for you. Now, hold your place there in Isaiah. We'll come back there. But I want to pause and do a quick check-in. Because if you're anything like me, my brain sometimes can check out. And so now it's time for a check-in. God is the only uncreated one who reigns over all of his creation. He has all power and all authority, 
over everything. So here's your check-in question. Who has more power than God? I know some of you are like, are we in church? Are we supposed to talk out loud? Are we supposed to audibly answer that? At least come up with your own answer. I assumed at least we'd have a young person that would scream out an answer, but we didn't have anybody scream out. But what is the answer to that? No one. There is no one. All right. So then let me ask you the follow-up. Does anyone in all of creation have as much power as God? Hey, now we're working. All right. This is good. Okay, the answer is no. Why? Because God alone is omnipotent. He alone has unlimited power and is able to do anything that is according to his nature. Nobody else and nothing else in all of the created universe shares his omnipotence. You got it. God alone is all power. We good? All right, we can continue. His power is like anything else. It is unlimited. And we keep that in mind as he is the divine warrior that in all of his power, he fights on behalf of his people. So what battle can be lost if the Lord is battling it? If the Lord is fighting it, what battle will be lost? Hey, we're doing good. Good job. None. We're doing good. All right, I told you to hold your place in Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah. As we're in Isaiah, I want you to think, what would you assume that a divine warrior would wear to battle? I would say probably armor. I heard some of you say armor. Isaiah 59, verse 17. Isaiah 59, 17, where I think Paul really got this idea of this armor of God or the God of the armor is right here out of Isaiah. Isaiah 59, verse 17, we read in verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is speaking of God. This is speaking of the armor that he would put on himself as the divine warrior, let me ask you something. Does it sound familiar? Sounds very familiar to our text this morning. And then speaking of the coming Christ, flip back in Isaiah, back to chapter 11. I want you to see it. Chapter 11. Speaking of the coming Christ in, in chapter 11, verse 5. If you're getting blisters on your thumbs, we've only just begun. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, we read, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, which can be translated truth, the belt of his loins. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. Puts us right back in our passage this morning. You don't have to flip there, but Isaiah 66, 16 speaks of also he has a sword, and we see that in our text this morning. And so God, the divine warrior is arrayed in his panoply in his full armor and it's displayed in perfect power because of God's power and because of him being a divine warrior Jeremiah would praise God for all his power and all his ability to do all things in Jeremiah 32 17 which I'm going to read but if you've got fast thumbs you can beat me there Jeremiah 32 17 Jeremiah says oh Lord God it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Did you hear the declaration of Jeremiah? Nothing is too hard for you. Why? Because he is an all-powerful God. We have to keep that in mind as we turn to our text this morning because the text this morning tells us that we are to stand, to stand firm, that there is someone who is coming against us and trying to scheme against us to yield to the temptation of sin, to rock our faith, and yet when we look at the power of God, he is able to do all things. Nothing is too hard 
for him. And so when we see the commands this morning to stand, three times over in our text, to stand, it's because God is a God of power. And so we could stand in his power. Secondly, this morning, we're going to look at the perfection of God. Looking at the perfection of God. I want to read our text again. So in Ephesians this morning, let's go ahead and flip back. Ephesians chapter 6, reading through it one more time. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul declared just prior to this text to put on the whole armor of God. And so everything we just read in verses 14 through 17, we must relate that armor back to the God of the armor. Are you with me? Well, we're not putting faith in these specific pieces of the armor. Faith is in our God. Faith is in the one who is all-powerful and able to do all things. The, the description that we have all throughout Ephesians and the one who is in clear view is Christ. From the very beginning of Ephesians all the way to the end, it is Christ who is in view. It is Christ who is arrayed in the panoply of God in this full armor. Going back to Grinnell again, another very succinct statement by him. He says, relating to this armor, quote, by armor is meant Christ, end quote. By armor is meant Christ. This is why, as we learned last week, in other places, Paul would just say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or put on the armor of light. Or even in our same book we're studying in Ephesians, he would say, put on the new self created after the likeness of Christ. It's to put on Jesus, every part of this. Christ is the object and the chief end of all that we read about in this book of Ephesians. Starts with the work of salvation. We looked at that last week. The, these indicatives of who we are in Christ and goes through the work of sanctification, of, of us growing in holiness. And also now in the work of just standing in all those works, the spotlight is on Christ. We can be so quick to put the spotlight on us, but the spotlight is on Christ. So when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you get his full provision that Paul is outlining here in the armor. All of this speaks of Christ. Objectively looking at these various things, the first piece of armor speaks of truth. We read, having fastened on the belt of truth. Literally, in the Greek, meaning gird oneself to make oneself ready. As this belt would be around the Roman soldier and they would pick up the robe and tuck it in inside so that they are ready. This is to be readied in truth. This is the same description that we read earlier in Isaiah 11. Verse 5, speaking of Christ, that he would have faithfulness, which is translated truth as the belt of his loins, that it would be around him. Truth meaning truthfulness, uprightness, integrity. Christ is the focus. He is the God of the armor. In Ephesians 4.21, Paul wrote that it is Christ, that all truth is in Christ. He is the source of truth. John in his gospel spends much time unpacking Jesus coming as truth. In the opening of John's gospel, in a verse very familiar to many of you, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we know the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of Grace and truth. Truth. 
Jesus declared himself that way in John chapter 14. And you know, he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. So when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are putting on truth. I want you to think about truth in the face of an adversary who's about lies. An adversary who's about scheming and deceiving. How important do you think truth is? It's a vital component. It's listed here first to put on truth. That when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it is what empowers us to then be truth tellers as Paul instructed in Ephesians 4.15. He said, we're to speak the truth in love. That we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So easily as we look at this armor, we can say, look, it's, it's about what I can do and what I need to do. All we're to do is to yield to Christ, to yield to his power. You know, when people come and say, you know, Christianity is all about these do's and don'ts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the power of God. The focus is on the God of the armor. It is him who enables us to stand. It's him who enables us to produce anything that is good, any fruit that would come out of us. And so rather than focus on a list of what we would say is do's and don'ts, it's that we have a glorious and good God who says, come to him, seek him, depend on him, stay in constant dependence upon him. Truth matters. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk by his spirit, means that we will bear fruit that is truthful and upright because we are in him. It means walking in integrity. You can't, that doesn't come on our own. You could think you're the most upright person, but apart from Christ, you are going to fail in walking in integrity. But to put on the Lord, to be dependent upon him, we can walk in him and in his truth. The second piece of armor that is pointed out here is righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, interesting that even God himself would clothe himself with a breastplate of righteousness. We saw that in Isaiah 59, 17. But here we are to put on the same righteousness of God. We're to be clothed in his righteousness. Does that not strike some understanding of what we see in the New Testament of what happens in Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to constantly this morning to continue to focus your attention on the God of the armor. Because at the end of all this, what we need to do is to look to God. We can so quickly look at, well, do I need a breastplate? Do I need a belt? Do, do I need a shield? Christ is who we need to come to. Christ is the one that we turn to. We see here about righteousness, this righteousness being imputed to us. It's an incredibly glorious transaction for those who trust in Christ, that their sin would be imputed to Christ, would be credited to him, but his righteousness would be imputed to us. I think we got a good end, good end of that bargain, right? We would get his righteousness. And that righteousness is not attained by works. It is given through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. To put on the whole armor is to put on Christ, to put on his righteousness. That's why Paul has written earlier in this letter in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All this transition here of, of putting on armor is we have a new identity that's in Christ. Put on Christ. Do not live in the old nature, in the old self, and in the flesh, but put on Christ. Because when you put on Christ, you put on his power. Let's put it on the whole armor. 
putting on our identity that's in Christ. It's standing firm in the truth of Christ, standing firm in the righteousness of Christ. It's by putting on Christ that we can walk by the Spirit and even act righteously. We see a third piece of armor here, Paul points out, is it, it's about the gospel of peace. He says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's interesting when you look into the Greek here, that literally word for word in the Greek, it would be, and your feet put readiness, the gospel of peace. Not even the mention of shoes, but it's the idea that what is going to be prepared on the feet that you're getting readied, prepared, and what's the preparation is the gospel. The gospel that has brought you peace. Gospel that has brought me peace. Every single one of us who have put our faith in Christ. By the way, again, you don't have to turn back to Isaiah, but this comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is peace that comes from the Prince of Peace, comes from Jesus Christ, the one who gives us peace with God. The Bible is clear that it's only through faith in Christ that we can have peace with God that we are no longer enemies to God. It's by putting on Christ that we're constantly reminded that we are a friend of God. It speaks here of having our feet ready. It's ready with this truth. It's what gives us that idea that we are at peace with God, we are a friend of God, and it gives us strong footing to stand firm. Think of other faiths that would be a works-based faith. That you would ask somebody, are you certain that when you die, that you will be received by our Father in heaven? And they say, I'm not sure. I hope I've done enough good to outweigh my bad. I call that machine a good meter and there's no such thing. There's not going to be some scale that you step on to see how much good outweighs the bad. Instead, are you in Christ? What have you done with the Son of God? And if you have Christ, then you have peace with God. And that is your sure footing, that the Christian faith is about the perfection of Christ, not the performance of the saints. Could you imagine if it was based upon our performance? If I had us all stand up and I said, if you have failed in your performance of walking as a Christian, please sit down. How many of us would be standing? Only the deceived or only the foolish because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so it is about the gospel of peace that makes us one with Christ, reconciles us with God. Paul goes on and talks about a fourth piece of this armor, and it's faith. He says, it's the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The object of our faith is not a shield. The object of our faith is Christ. As we continue to go through this, I want you to see Christ in every part of this armor. As believers, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is simply trusting and believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's trusting in his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross, and his validating resurrection from the grave. Putting on the whole armor is putting on faith. In Christ. It's walking by faith. You'll quickly learn in the Christian walk that we don't have answers for everything that happens around us. But the gift of faith encourages us, strengthens us to trust in the God who does know everything. To trust in the God who is all-powerful and able to do all things. 
put on the full armor is to cling to the claims of Christ. It is those claims of Christ that shield us from the enemy. It's the claims of Christ of who he is, Savior, Lord, Master, that he is the conquering one, that he is the one who has overcome. And because he has overcome, guess what it means for all those who trust in him? That they overcome too. Not just faith. Paul goes on here and talks about salvation, the fifth piece of the armor is to take the helmet of salvation. Once again, the object here is Christ. Christ has secured salvation for all who repent and believe in him. So what does it mean to take on the helmet of salvation? It is interesting that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes it a little bit differently. He writes there, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Did you hear that? What is to put on the helmet of salvation? Paul says elsewhere, it's the hope of salvation. It is looking ahead. It's looking beyond our current circumstances. It is looking for future grace. It's keeping that future grace in sight of when we see the Lord face to face. It means thinking of the time when all the cares of this world will pass away. The helmet of salvation. The hope of salvation. That by putting on Christ, we keep this hope of salvation on the forefront of our mind. I want you to keep all these things in place because we are going to get to seeing the enemy and how he attacks in all these different areas. But the helmet of salvation. The sixth and final piece that Paul mentions here of the armor is the word of God. He says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When we put on the armor, we put on the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cling to scripture as the final authority over all things. We must know the scriptures. We're to test all things to the scriptures. I don't know about you, but I have emotions that go all over the place. Anybody emotional? Hey, we've got two people that admitted it, okay? How do I know and, and even guard those emotions? How, how do I even know when I feel like I'm being led to do something or maybe I should respond this way? How do I know? I mean, we might even put it in a, in a sense that God is showing me these things. We are in spiritual warfare. There is an enemy of our soul that can be showing us lots of things. We're to take up the sword, the word of God to test all things. That when we say God is leading me or guiding me or informing me, I can show you in his word where that is true. Because otherwise we can be tossed to and fro by every emotion and every scheme of the devil to say, well, I think this is God. The word needs to be rightly handled and, and put behind everything. It is the sword to defend against all that would come at us to test them. We need to live according to the scriptures. As I said, to examine even our emotions or our motives by holding it against scripture. To take the sword. To stand firm that scripture alone is our foundation for everything that is true and right and good. Do not leave your sword. The source of this is Christ. It all speaks of Christ. To take up the sword is to take up Christ and to take up his word, to stand firm in that. And so, so far this morning, we've seen the power of God, the power of God that is able to do all things. We've seen also here, just looking at God in, in every aspect and this, this armor, the God of the armor, 
that this God, who is the God of the armor, is a powerful God. But he's also a perfect God. He's a God who can be trusted in every way. And this God who is powerful, this God who is perfect, is a God who is our protection. Thirdly, this morning, the protection of God. Look at verse 14 with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul starts there with, stand therefore. This is the third time that he has commanded the believer to stand. The clear teaching of Ephesians 6 is that the Christian is able to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we stand. If you're here this morning and you are refusing to turn to Christ, know this, to be without Christ and his graces is to be without armor. Without Christ, you are naked and you are unarmed. You have no chance to fight against sin or Satan. You are in need of Christ and his righteousness. For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which you must be saved. It is Christ who bids you to come to him in repentance and faith, to turn from yourself and to turn from your sin and to trust in him alone for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you come to Christ in faith, you are sealed with his spirit. You are given his armor. It becomes readily available to you so you could immediately rest in his victory. For all who come to him, God's protection is guaranteed through God's provision. Do you understand that? He will give you everything that you need because he is the all-powerful one. We cannot do this in our own strength. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, we read this warning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And it goes on to say that God does not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but he is faithful that he will provide the way of escape so that you're able to endure it. But the warning is, if you think that you could stand in your own strength, you will fall. The idea here is to give up all self-reliance, to, to stop depending on what I'm able to do, and to come to God. As Lord William will look at the rest of this next week, to come to him in prayer, to seek him constantly in prayer of crying out to him. It's called dependence, that our dependence would be entirely on him. But we cannot do it in our own strength. We must be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. The God who is the God of unlimited power. He is the God who avails us of his might so that we can do his will. I want you to think about that as you're in a battle to do God's will. It is not in your power to do it. You do not have the strength to do it. As a matter of fact, you may even confess that out loud. I can't do this. But you know who can? The God who has unlimited power can do it. It is that moment of weakness, that moment of brokenness, that moment of humility that we would turn to him in complete surrender and say, God, I can't, but you can. That is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with your flesh. We must seek him and the power of his spirit to put on the whole armor of God that we might stand specifically in this context against the schemes of the devil. So as we put on the armor, we're putting on truth. We're putting on righteousness. We're putting on peace, faith, salvation. We're putting on God's word. I think Paul said this the most simply, as we referenced last week, Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To put on Jesus, the new self, 
the armor. Call it what you want. It's about the God of the armor. It's about Christ. It's to seek him and his perfection and his power. It's about submitting to his will and not going about doing your will. He is able. But we must turn to him in humility and admit that we're not able, that I can't do this, that there is no sufficiency in me, but my sufficiency is in Christ. That's humility. To come before God and to plead out to God that I need your strength. I need your power. I need the fullness of Christ to stand firm. I need Christ that I might not yield to temptation, that my faith would stay grounded. Again, not to cause us panic, but Paul clearly points out here that we need to be on alert to the schemes of Satan, that he is relentlessly trying to cause us to yield to the temptation to sin, to yield to our sinful thoughts, to speak in a manner that's not pleasing to Christ, to do things that aren't pleasing to him, to live according to our own ways and not according to his. This is Satan's plan. And every single one of us who are a believer here this morning experience it constantly. And sometimes it comes a lot stronger. There is an attack that has been planned, an attack that is intentional. And as we talked about last week, Satan and his demons study us and know our weaknesses, know where we get frustrated, and they plan the attack. And the attack is to get us to act like a rebel, to chase after the things of the world and to comfort ourselves in in, in sin instead of in Christ. But to put on Christ is to put on his truth, it's to put on him. It's to enable us to stand against the schemes of Satan. He's a deceiver. He says things like this. Did God really say? I mean, are you really supposed to not do that? I mean, isn't just a little bit of that okay? Don't all people do it? I mean, a little bit won't hurt, right? He's a deceiver. He he tries to get you to subtly compromise. So one compromise leads to another, which is all forms of rebellion against God. He is a deceiver. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul encourages us to forgive one another. I'll tell you this. Forgiveness in our flesh is impossible. We want what we call justice. If I suffered... I want them to suffer as well. You know, the only time we lay down that justice argument is that when it comes with us and the Lord, we don't want his justice. We want his mercy. We want his forgiveness. And yet the enemy of our soul wants to stir up in us our pride and have us stand firm that we will not forgive. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in the context of forgiving one another, we read in verse 11 that we forgive so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. He wants us to act like him, like the enemy of our souls, not like Christ who would forgive us of our heinous acts against a holy God. Satan wants to hold you back from forgiveness. He wants to remind you and whisper in your ear how unworthy that person is of your forgiveness. All the while exalting your own worthiness. He'll tell you how you've tried harder than them, how you deserve better than them, and how they deserve to live without your forgiveness. I want you to think about the gospel of peace that we spoke of earlier. That gospel of peace is a gospel of forgiveness. And we are commanded to forgive as we have been forgiven. 
And so one of Satan's schemes is to have us hold bitterness and resentment and anger and hostility towards others. We must put on the Lord Jesus. When we say, well, I can't do this. I can't forgive the way I'm commanded to forgive. You're right, you can't. But Christ can through you. He can empower you through his unlimited resource of power to forgive. And not because that person is worthy of forgiveness, but because Christ is worthy of us imitating him. Satan loves to point out all kinds of things in our lives. He points out how worthy we are and how undeserving others are. He, he points out how undeserving they are of our love, of our grace, of our mercy. He's a deceiver. Putting on Christ helps us to love, helps us to impart grace to the hearers, helps us to be merciful towards others, to extend loving kindness towards others who are undeserving just like us. Satan's tactics, it's double-edged because he's a tempter, but he's also an accuser. And so the same sin that he tempts you with is the same temptation that he condemns you with. So he spins it, puts it in your mind of luring you. And then if you chase after that, even in thought, he comes back and condemns you for even thinking about it. This is the scheme of Satan. To try to derail you, to get your eyes on the things and the cares of this world instead of on Christ. The word this morning tells us, put on Christ, turn back to him, cry out to him. We can't do this alone. To put on Christ, to put on his righteousness, to be reminded that in Christ, there is no condemnation for those that are in him. Satan coming at us and trying to condemn us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. By putting on this armor, we're taking up the full counsel of God. We're looking to God's word and storing it up in our hearts that we might not sin against him. If you recall from Matthew 4, Jesus out in the wilderness, the enemy comes to him to tempt him. Jesus, how is he going to respond to temptation? What did he use? These words, it is written. And the next temptation came and he said the same thing. It is written. And it came again, the temptation, and he said, it is written. It's the word of God to test all things to scripture. When you think the spirit of God is telling you something to do, how do you know it's the spirit of God and not the spirit of demons? because you test it to Scripture. We must be informed by the Scripture. There is an onslaught from the enemy, an onslaught of lies that constantly come at us. The way we stand firm is to remember who we are in Christ, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he purchased us with his blood, that we're no longer our own, but we are Christ's. The Christ is our shield. He will protect us from the enemy. As we continue to turn to him, to turn to his strength, his armor, he will strengthen us against the constant bombardment of the enemy. Remember, the scheme of Satan is subtle compromises. So stop and pause right now and consider your own life. Explore your own heart, your own mind right now. Where are the subtle compromises in your life? Where have you listened to the enemy of your soul and say, that's not that big of a deal. You deserve that. You, you don't have to obey that because you deserve to stand in unforgiveness. That person's not worthy of your forgiveness. What are the subtle compromises that you are just slowly creeping down that are rebellion to God? I can't answer that for you. But I do know the enemy says, try a little of this. Do, do a little bit of that. Tiptoe the line. Flirt a little bit with the sin. Being mindful of this, church, that a major avalanche always begins with a small crack. 
subtle compromises. The scheme of Satan to seek Christ, to submit to him, to submit to his will is bringing full protection around us from all these subtle compromises. Putting on Christ is the ability to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You have things swirling in your mind? They're constant temptations to act in the flesh and not in the spirit. The encouragement is seek Christ. Put on the armor of God. Seek the one who is the, ar- the, the God of the armor. I'll quote Gernal one more time. Gernal said this, set your heart, if you set your heart toward wickedness, said Satan will lend you his own chariot and drive you himself to perform the deed. I like that. I like the way it's worded. But there's so much truth in it. If we do not put on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we do not put on his strength, the enemy is there waiting to drive us wherever we want to go. He'll take us by the hand. He'll bring us there. Grinnell could continue with that. He said, temptation is never stronger than when relief seems to dress itself in the very sin that Satan is suggesting. That somehow there's relief from my present circumstances in the very sin that Satan is presenting to me. Church, the only way we could walk wisely before God is by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we don't walk into the schemes and follow the schemes of Satan is by being desperately in need of Christ at all times, of coming to him constantly, of putting our focus on the God of the armor. And as we turn to him, his word says he will be our refuge, he'll be our tower, He'll be our shield, our rock, our fortress, our strength. He'll be our defense, and he'll be our deliverer. He is so worthy of us to go to them. How foolish are we not to constantly go to him? That God in his power and God in his perfection will most certainly protect us as we turn to him. I want you to understand this as, as, as we close this morning. When God defends you as a believer, when he defends you, he also defends himself. I want to stop and let you chew on that for a second. When God defends you, he defends himself. He he does all this through you for the praise of his glorious grace that he would be exalted, that the name of Christ would be exalted. So of course, he will give you all of his strength. He will give you all of his power to do his will because in it, he is glorified. Surely, he will protect you. Let's pray. Father, as we close, we... Bring all this to mind that you are a God who is all-powerful, that you are a God who is perfect, and that you're a God who provides perfect protection. Father, I know that each one of us wrestle with dueling desires, that those of us who are in Christ Jesus have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us, giving us desires to please him. We also have this fallen flesh. This fallen flesh that desires to please self, to defend self. God, as we look to your word this morning, we realize that, Lord, we cannot do this Christian life in our own strength, that we need your strength. And Father, those who are in here this morning and say, well, You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the the stress and the the cares of this world that are coming at me. Oh God, would you remind them that you do? When they think that I don't have the ability to do what God is calling me to do, oh God, would you remind them of your power? Father, when they even fight between the desire to want to obey you and obeying themselves, 
Father, would your grace come to them in a manner that would put their eyes upon Christ? Would you remind them of the gospel of peace? Would you remind them of your goodness, your faithfulness, your loving care and kindness to them? That you would send your son Christ to be murdered, to take on the penalty, the wages of their sin. And oh God, there would be great humility that would come to the soul of those who resist to turn and please in you. But they would say, oh God, you have done such great and mighty things. Oh God, they would experience your nearness, your power, and your protection. Would you help us to constantly put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to him in humility at all times, to declare that we do not have the strength, but we know he does, to live a life pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you for even the thought that as you defend us, you defend yourself. So surely you will protect us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.